0: Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us today as we continue a survey of some major themes in the Gospel of Mark. And what we're trying to do in this series is encourage you to bring the Sunday Mass readings in the Gospel of Mark home to share in the family setting. And so I'm trying to emphasize in this series some of the things that aren't emphasized in the Gospel of Mark quite enough in our day. And again, I want to give you the entire Gospel of Mark in a sentence. What we're trying to convey is this. The Gospel of Mark is about Jesus Christ the servant king. And if you want to really get it into a nutshell, the gospel is about Jesus revealed to us in this gospel as the servant king. And we already went over a couple of times that the very word gospel itself is indicative of a royal announcement. And it comes from Isaiah 52 verse 7, which says, Your God reigns. That's the gospel announcement. The word evangelism also derives from the same Greek word. Your God reigns is the message we want to spread. Now, I shared with you last time, I think as Catholics, we really do a great job on the idea of the servanthood of Jesus as presented in the gospels. What is his servanthood? Well, it's Jesus' suffering and death on a cross, his sacrifice for us. I mean, many Catholics have a crucifix in their home, maybe even in their car, and maybe even wear one around their neck. Um, Think about it often. The Holy Week series of masses so well emphasizes the suffering servanthood of Jesus. But along with Christ's servanthood is also his kingship. Remember, the gospel of Mark is about the servant king, and at least in in my view, the kingship of Christ has gone into a rather serious eclipse in the modern world. I shared with you last week that at the dividing point towards the end of chapter 8 in the gospel of Mark, the only time in the Bible Jesus has to do a healing twice— and it wasn't like he made a mistake or he didn't have enough power to do it right the first time or anything like that. But he, he did one act of healing, and then the man who he was healing said, well, I see now. He was blind. I see now, but uh, I see men that look like trees walking. Well, that's not twenty twenty sight, so he healed them a second time. And the idea was that the disciples were getting the idea that Jesus was king, namely the Jewish Messiah was to be king over the nations of the world. They were getting that, but what they missed, that this king could also be a servant, that he would suffer and die. And right after Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ, the great king, uh, he tries to tell Jesus, you know, don't go to the cross, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And I think today the roles have been, so to speak, reversed, whereas the disciples had a really hard time conceiving the servanthood of Jesus, we seem to have a hard time conceiving of his kingship. We're missing it. And so I'd like to select a passage from the Gospel of Mark that, along with several others, reveal what the secret is about Jesus as a great king. And it's the account of the transfiguration in Mark chapter 9. Here it is. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain apart from themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his garments became glistening, intensely white as no fuller on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking to Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is well that we are here. Let us make three booths, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were exceedingly afraid. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man should have risen from the dead. Boy, there's so many wonderful things packed in here. I'm going to give you this paragraph about the transfiguration of Jesus in a sentence. But first, I want to review real quickly. I'm going to give you the entire gospel in a sentence. The gospel of Mark is about Jesus, the servant king. Now, the transfiguration in a sentence is the transfiguration is a sneak peek at the Messiah in all of his royal majesty. Or to put it another way, in case you didn't get, get it that time, in the transfiguration, Jesus allowed three of his closest disciples to see the reality of his glorious kingship. Okay? That's what was going on in the transfiguration. Begin with, notice it says... Uh human language obviously is limited when you start to see the God-man in all his glory, but it, it says his garments became intensely white. In other words, he was illuminated with with a, a brilliance and a whiteness and a glory that uh, had no match for anything that they had ever seen in their lives. And what they were seeing is a, what I call a this sneak peek into the glory of Jesus. Now, if you or I would have the occasion to be taken up into heaven today and see Jesus seated on a throne in heaven, it's very interesting that he would look very much like he did in front of Peter, James, and John. In other words, The transfiguration was a peak into his kingship. I'm going to give you a big tip for the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation are several peaks into the kingship of Jesus while the Roman Empire was persecuting Christians on earth. They needed to see this picture of Christ as king. And so, the the book of Revelation starts off with Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, Revelation 1-5, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. This is where the conflict came between the kingdom of God and kings of the earth. They could get along in submitting to the greater kingship of Christ, or they could be in conflict. And so, As you know, John was taken up into heaven in the first chapter of Revelation, and actually other times as you move through the book. But starting in verse 12, he was in heaven, and he turned to see one speaking to him. Verse 13, in the midst of the lampstands was one like the Son of Man. Now, I hope your memories are are cooking here, because in Mark chapter 9 and verse 9, as they were coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus says, don't let on about what you've seen prematurely, because we don't want to cause a riot before he finished his work of uh, training his disciples and such like that. So, Son of Man, uh, until he's raised from the dead, don't go talking about what you've seen. And here, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe His hair was white as wool. His eyes were like flames of fire. His face was like the sun shining in full strength. In other words, the revelation, and revelation, if you can imagine a stage with the curtain pulled back to reveal something, what is being revealed in Revelation is Jesus Christ the ruler of the kings of the earth, and when John was taken into heaven, saw Jesus on his throne, he was the Son of Man in all this brilliant, radiant glory. Well, flipping back to Mark 9, that's what they saw in a very brief time on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus was trying to do two things in the Gospels through his teachings and through basically bringing his disciples to have their eyes open to both his servanthood, his suffering on the cross, and his royal dignity as ruler of kings of all the earth. Now, when you have God the Father saying something, it's good idea to pay lots and lots of attention because when Jesus was up on the mount, and you had Moses, Elijah, Peter, James, and John, and then a voice from the cloud, this is a theophany, this is God the Father speaking, and the voice came out of the cloud and said, quote, This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. It's a good idea to listen right here. Now, Scripture scholars and a good cross-reference study Bible will tell us that this designation, in other words, the Father put his stamp, his designation, he was revealing to these disciples who Jesus was, his beloved Son, in whom he is well pleased. Scripture scholars tell us that this statement is really a, a combination of two Old Testament scriptures. One is Isaiah 42, and the other comes from Psalm 2 and verse 7, and Psalm 2 and verse 7 is a really important passage of Scripture, and I think we should turn there because it was from Psalm 2, God the Father speaks from heaven, and when you hear part of a Bible verse that God from heaven declares, pay lots of attention. Psalm 2 has been called a royal coronation psalm, so it involves kingship. On You would say the original context would be King David, who was installed by God as his beloved over the nation Israel, but David prefigured Jesus himself, also king of Israel, but whose kingship would extend to all the nations. And Psalm 2 speaks about a great revolt, in fact, the revolt of all revolts. It's as great as just about anything you can understand in human history, and this isn't just dry-as-dust passage of Scripture that happens to be 3,000 years old. I believe that Psalm 2 is describing the modern world. Let's listen in. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds asunder. Let us cast their cords from us. The kings of the earth were saying, you know, it's so restrictive being under the rulership of Christ is King. It's like a chain around us. Let's let's burst these bonds asunder. Let's have freedom from God's rule. What's the reaction of God? He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord has them in derision. He, you know, He's saying, "What are you doing?" He will speak to them in His wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Uh, inasmuch at what God was saying from Psalm chapter 2 in Mark 9, he has set his king. Listen to him. But Psalm 2 is telling us that the kings of the earth will want to break the bonds of God's kingship over the rulers of the earth verse 7, I will tell of the decree of the Lord, he said to me, you are my son, the son of God. The gospel means the proclamation of a great ruler or king taking his rule, and the gospel of Mark, the beginning of it says, Jesus Christ, the son of God. The son of God is to become the rulers of the kings of the earth. And he says, ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance. And notice it doesn't say the individual hearts. Uh, I mean, God is to rule over the hearts. He doesn't say just sanctuaries, uh, having religious freedom in sanctuaries. No, he says, I'm going to make the nations your inheritance. I'm going to make the rulers and the kings of the earth obey you. And he says, you shall break them with a rod of iron. And dash them into pieces with a potter's vessel. In other words, it's not going to be a good end to the nations that want to break the bonds of Christ's kingship. So Psalm 2 concludes Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, with trembling, kiss his feet. That's the idea of worship and ascribing kingship to the great King of kings, Jesus lest he be angry and you perish in the way. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Psalm 2 is talking about the nations, the rulers, the kings, the prime ministers, the congresses, the constitutional conventions of the world gathering together and saying, we don't want it the old way. We don't want Jesus as king over us. We want to determine for ourselves how to rule our nations. Now, Psalm 2 and Mark 9 are just giving us peeks into the reality of the world we're living in. Now, Jesus said, don't tell anybody what you saw, his royal majesty on the Mount of Transfiguration, until after Christ's passion." but Christ's passion has been over for 2,000 years. It's now time to proclaim the gospel that Jesus is king over the rulers of the earth. Not just kings over churches and denominations or sanctuaries or individual Christians. No, Jesus is king of kings. He's ruler over the kings of the earth. Now, in the modern world, And by the way, the frightening thing about this, God lets the nations of the world go their way. If they want to break free of the rule of Christ, their end doesn't come necessarily in 30 days or 30 years. In fact, it's been almost 500 years since the Protestant Reformation. It was in 1517, and we're rolling up rather quickly to the 500th anniversary And what happened, one of the things that happened in the Protestant Reformation, Christendom, whereas the European nations recognized themselves under the rulership of Jesus Christ as king, the kings of the emerging nation states about the time of Luther's break with Christendom, with the Catholic Church, they wanted their independence, they wanted more autonomous authority more authority to their kingship and less for Jesus's kingship. So what happened was you had a massive gathering of power to these nation states separated from Christendom. Now, of course, once you separate, it's a simply a progressive secularism that takes place to the point you have basically the modern nations of the world, particularly of Europe, completely secularized. Move forward just a little bit in history, the French Revolution, 1789. That's where basically the impetus, the fire from hell for modern nations becoming completely unhinged from King Jesus, and those fires have never gone out. Um, For a while, they seem to uh, go down in France, those flames, but they have spread through the modern world. And I want you to know, I am a red-blooded American, okay, but I am also a disciple of King Jesus, and I see my job is to proclaim truth and not conveniently uh, overlook some major, what should I say, a, a major blindness, perhaps, even in our own national identity. You know where the Statue of Liberty came from? It came from France in 1886, And it was designed consciously to represent the Roman goddess of liberty. And I remember I was a little boy. I literally ran all the way up to the top of the uh, Statue of Liberty, back when you can actually get into the torch and all that. I don't remember seeing, but at her feet, at the feet of the Statue of Liberty, is a broken chain. Representing the modern world that has broken with kingship, that has broken with what was Christendom. And the contemporary push by so many well-meaning Catholics for religious freedom is barking up the wrong tree of liberty. It's part of the revolt of Psalm 2 in the modern world. Let us break those chains. Let's break the Messiah's bonds, whereas God's saying, I have sent my son, my beloved son, as king on the holy hill, and you'd be wise kings and rulers to recognize his kingship, but that's not what's going on in the modern world. Religious and political freedom, broken chains, freedom from the reign of Jesus. Now, as they were coming down the mountain, as I've already mentioned, Jesus said, don't tell anybody what you saw uh, about the Son of Man until he has risen, he has suffered and risen from the dead. What does Jesus mean by this phrase, Son of Man? Well, first of all, you should know, it is Jesus's favorite description of himself. Uh, I counted over 80 times in the four Gospels, uh, Son of Man, about 14 times in Mark. It's all through Luke, John, Matthew. But what does that mean, Son of Man, and where does it come from? Well, it comes from Daniel chapter 7. And as you go through St. Mark, the gospel this upcoming year, you're gonna see over and over again, son of man, son of man, son of man, son of man. And whenever you hear son of man, you think of Daniel chapter seven, son of man, Daniel chapter seven, son of man, Daniel chapter seven. This is where it comes from. In Daniel chapter seven, verse 13, it reads, behold, with the clouds of heaven, There came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days. You ever wonder what happened to Jesus as he ascended? Where did he ascend to? Well, he ascended to his throne because he was being royally installed as king of king and lord of lords. He's the son of man. He went to heaven in a cloud, and now it's kind of like from the other side of the cloud, we see Jesus coming up, and he comes to the ancient of days. God the Father, and was presented before him, and this is the key to the reality of the present world. Verse 14, and to him the Son of Man was given dominion and glory and kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Just so you know, in Daniel, twice, we are presented and taught that there's going to be a succession of four worldly empires, four worldly kingdoms, ruled by a king of kings. And a king of kings, the first being Babylon ruled by Nebuchadnezzar, if the king of kings would come in and you would submit to his rule, you would stay. Your nation would stay. The king would stay. But he would promise allegiance and to follow the will of the king of kings. And he had Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and then Rome. Now, you can imagine, remember St. Mark, the gospel of St. Mark is a record of St. Peter's preaching. And St. Peter's going around announcing the gospel about a, a king. It's a royal announcement, and the Son of Man uh, has now ascended to his throne. Now, you can imagine how well that went over with Caesar. In fact, it went over so horribly that St. Peter was crucified upside down, and those who try to assert the kingship of Christ in the modern world may experience the exact same thing. But this isn't something that we should lose sight of, and as I mentioned, I, I felt that the kingship of Christ has been eclipsed in the modern world. It's our blind spot. And do you know that Peter, whose teaching is revealed and preserved for us in the Gospel of Mark, also has two epistles, First and Second Peter. And this is what he says in 2 Peter. Obviously, this experience on the Mount of Transfiguration, getting a glimpse into the majesty, the royal kingship of Christ, this is what he says. We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, eyewitnesses of the king's majesty. That's what's going on in the Mount of Transfiguration. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom... I am well pleased. We heard this voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain, and we have the prophetic word made more sure. And this I would like to leave with every Catholic in the United States and throughout the world. St. Peter says, you will do well to pay attention to it. Don't lose sight of this voice. The kingship of Christ Our modern world is so far out of sync with the most fundamental reality of our present existence. It is practically blind to the kingship of Jesus. Do you know one of the first things you're going to do is sing a chorus when we get to heaven? you know what you're going to sing? How Hallelujah, the Lord God Almighty reigns. You go, oops, you mean he was actually supposed to reign over the United States, over France, England, Germany, and all the nations of the world? You would do well to pay attention to it. You've been listening to episode 63 of Faith and Family. Join us next time. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at familylifecenter.net. To order a CD copy of today's broadcast, order online at www.familylifecenter.net.